Let's pray together. Lord, we hear in your word today that we need help uh, grasping, seeing, trusting the good news of what you've accomplished in our lives. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. Lord, the grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. Lord, would you speak through your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Polly Long is a professor at Regent College, and she tells a story about a time in her life when she was at the peak of stress and exhaustion. She was uh, in a season where she was the mother of four young children, and all the parents said, okay, I got this stress. And on top of that, her husband had just started a new job that was causing him to be overextended and overwhelmed. She had taken on too many volunteer responsibilities, and she was also a graduate student studying biblical Greek. It was just like she was drowning in all this stuff. Well, she tells a story about an evening when she was at a Greek seminar with four other students, and her professor suggested that they begin this time with a word of prayer, and they were just sharing what was on their hearts. And she was pouring out all the stress she was overwhelmed with, and they took turns praying for one another. And the person to the right prayed for the the person, and uh, Polly's professor was to her right. And when it came time for him to pray, he simply said this, God, I pray that you would restore to Polly the joy of her salvation. And that was it. And in retelling the story, Polly said that she was startled by this prayer because she felt like she wasn't hurt. That's not what she needed prayer for. She needed prayer for strength and provision and stamina. She didn't need to contemplate lofty theological ideas. She needed some parenting strategies. She needed some time management tips. She needed someone to do the dishes. Not to, she didn't have the luxury of contemplating the joy of her salvation. And she was a bit frustrated, to be honest, with the prayer. Well, as she was driving home, the significance of this prayer hit her, and she realized that this professor of her actually was getting to the core of what she needed. In the midst of all the straining, all the stress, all the striving, she had lost sight of the hope of the gospel that was at the core of what she was wrestling with. And she wrote this, I realized I had bought into the lie that Jesus redeemed me to work me, and in that work I would find worth. I had bought into the idea that God would love me more the harder I worked for him. It's this moment where her eyes were opened again and she, to the fact that she'd lost sight of the good news of the gospel. And she uh, reflects on this. She says, unfortunately, good theology can be in our hearts, or sorry, in our heads, but not in our hearts. If we live life unchecked, our behavior can preach a different gospel than we know to be true. And I think this is a challenge for all of us. I think we can profess and proclaim what the good news of the gospel is, but we often live as if that's not really true. Our behavior preaches a different kind of gospel. There's a gap between what we profess to be true and what we live to be true. We often live our lives marked by fear and striving and struggle, even though we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1 sounds a lot like this prayer that Polly's professor prayed, and it was kind of a startling prayer. In the midst of all the challenges that they're facing, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, I wonder if the Ephesians were also startled by this prayer, because they're dealing with all kinds of problems. 
The church is facing persecution. Paul is writing this in prison. Their leader is imprisoned. In 1 Timothy, we get an inside glance into the church in Ephesus, and they're dealing with um, conflict, theological tension. People are leaving the church. In Ephesians 2, we see that there's some racial tension as Jews and Gentiles are, are learning to live in community together. But that's not what Paul prays for. He doesn't pray for the end to conflict, for church growth, for release from prison. His priority in prayer is that their eyes would be opened to the good news of the gospel. These believers in Ephesus have lost sight of the good news. Well, what I want to do today is just notice what this good news is, what Paul prays for Trusting that God might be doing that work in our lives today too, opening our eyes to some of the hope that we sometimes lose sight of in the midst of the everyday struggles that we are going through. And so there are three things, and kids, here's your first word if you're paying attention. First, Paul prays that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So kids, if you're listening, that first word, the first code word today is the word hope, H-O-P-E. You can write that with your cool pen. Hope. Hope is such an important thing to sustain us through life. Hope has the capacity to keep us going when we are facing challenges, and that's what the Ephesians are dealing with. This is why Paul is filled with hope even though uh, he is in prison. There's something that is driving him to persevere because he sees a bigger story that is being written. We all need hope to get through challenges, and we experience this in all kinds of areas of life, that hope for the future sustains us in the present. Some of you perhaps had the hope of getting a better job, and that sustained you through the seasons of going through college and taking on student loans, right? We have hopes for our kids, and that causes us to invest time in the present, in their well-being, with the hope that they will become the people we long for them to become, The challenge is that many of the things that we put our hope in are tenuous and aren't always fulfilled or aren't always fulfilling. Some of us that are in the middle of our life, we've realized some of those dreams and we're still finding ourselves longing for something deeper. Some of us are nearing the end of our life and we're realizing that some of the things we placed our hope in aren't as strong as we thought as we're anticipating the reality of of death, of mortality. And Paul points us to a bigger hope that can sustain us even when we're in those seasons of grief, seasons of imprisonment, seasons of struggle. In Ephesians 1, he talks about this hope that what God has started in Christ is going to come to fulfillment. God has started life at a new trajectory because of what he's accomplished on the cross, and he's now going to work things together, even the hard things that we face, together for a hopeful end. Paul speaks to this again in Philippians 1, where, where he, he writes um, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When that hope captures our heart, it, it can help us persevere and endure when we face the inevitable challenges of living in a broken world, as we battle some of the powers in our world, we, we live with this hope that what God started in Christ, he will bring to completion and fulfillment. Um, I heard a story this week, uh, it's a really famous story, you may have heard of, of a soldier named Hiro Onodo. He was a Japanese soldier in World War II, and near the end of World War II, he was deployed to the Philippines, 
And when the war ended, he didn't believe that it had actually ended. And so he remained in the jungle for 30 more years. That's a true story. For 30 more years, hiding out in the jungle, engaging in little local battles. And there were all these attempts to try and get him to believe that the war had ended. People went and found him, and they told him that it was over, and he didn't believe them. The Japanese government dropped leaflets hoping that he'd find them in the, in the jungle, and he saw it, and he said, this is just trickery. And he was convinced that the war had not ended. 30 years later, after all these attempts, his commanding officer went, found him in the jungle, and commanded him to stand down and said that the war is over. And he finally relented in March of 1974. I was thinking about this story as uh, just a powerful example of how sometimes we don't trust the good news, right? (laughs) And that we're continuing to live in isolation and fear. We're continuing to battle on our own when there's this message of good news that God wants to break through to us, that the the war is over. (laughs) Paul goes on to talk about how there has been a decisive victory in Christ that Christ through his death and resurrection has disarmed the powers that we are up against. And because of that, we can face the challenges of life with courage. We can come out of hiding. We can live with a renewed sense of hope and freedom. And what Paul's prayer for us is, is that we would believe the message. Friends, we have heard this good news, and yet we often live as if the good news is not really true, and we persist in fear. We persist in isolation. We persist not thinking that there is a bigger hope. We're stuck in an old story. And Paul's prayer is that we would have the eyes of our heart, the center of our being, enlightened of this great hope that what God has begun in Christ, he will bring to completion in our lives. The second thing that Paul prays for is that you may know the riches of God's glory. And so, kids, this is your second word. If you want to write down, I'm going to have you write down the word glory, G-L-O-R-Y, glory. Praying that you may know the riches of God's glory. Now, when I first read this text, I misunderstood it. And Paul talks about the glory of his inheritance. And I initially thought that He's talking about what we inherit as God's people, as sons and daughters of God. We have a great inheritance waiting for us. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 1.15. But in this verse, he's saying something different. He's actually speaking about God's inheritance. It's his inheritance. And here's the profound thing that's being communicated. What Paul is saying is that we, the people of God, are God's inheritance, that we are God's prized possession. The thing that he is so hopeful about for the, for the future is that we will become his people. And so because of that, God is investing all his glorious riches in us as his children. It's kind of like how we invest in our kids. That's our hope for the future, right? We want our kids to thrive and live, and that's going to be uh, kind of our legacy and our hope. And, and this is now applied to God. He sees us and he says, you are my inheritance of all the things that this world contains. You are my prized possession, and so I'm going to invest everything I have in you. I'm going to invest my, the riches of my glory in you, my people. And so Paul wants to awaken us to this hope of a God who is pouring out everything into our lives, for we are his prized inheritance. This is what uh, Daryl Johnson writes in his commentary. God invests everything he is in his inheritance. 
which is us. The living God is rich beyond our imagining and is investing it all in his people. He always gives us everything we need to be his people. Now, the key in this, of course, is that Paul's not speaking about material riches, and sometimes things get twisted as we proclaim the gospel. Paul, of course, is in prison. Things materially are difficult. But what sustains him with hope is that there is a deeper spiritual abundance that he experiences as God invests his whole self in us. God gives us what we need to become the people he is calling us to be. And lastly, this is the third thing. And so, kids, this third word, if you're following along, the third code word is the word power. Power, P-O-W-E-R. Paul prays that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul uh, speaks about how we have access to the power of God. Power of God has been directed towards us, which means it's to our advantage. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at hand. God empowers, he equips us for what he calls us to. Robin bore witness to that today in her testimony, how God equips us, empowers us to be the people that we are called to be. We're up against some powers, and Paul talks about the powers of this world. We battle temptation, we battle evil, we battle injustice. And so often, I think we wage these battles trying to use the resources of our own limited willpower, and we're struggling, and we're straining, and we're striving, and we're crushed by that. Paul wants to awaken us to the hope that we do not need to battle these powers alone, but there's a God who bestows his power upon us. Last summer, I had the opportunity for the first time to ride a, an electric bike. Has anybody ridden an electric bike yet? It's like life-changing. <laughs> Julie's parents uh, have a couple bikes, and I borrowed one, went on this long ride with my father-in-law around Lake Whatcom. And it is a fun experience when you click that power assist into full gear and you're going up a hill. It's just like you get this little boost of energy. It flattens the hill. You can cover more terrain. I think about that experience often when I am biking home from work. I like to commute here in the summer, and it's a great commute in. I live up in Northern Heights. It's all downhill. But the bike ride home is just this direct hill straight up. And when I'm riding my 20-year-old mountain bike with uh, gummed up bearings and out-of-align tires, about halfway up sunset, I, say, I always think to myself, this could be different. <laughs> there is a resource out there that I could invest in that would give me that power assist and make this much more, much more manageable. Right? Kind of a silly metaphor, but it's just this image that Paul wants to awaken us to. I think a lot of us, we're straining, we're striving. Life feels like this uphill battle. And we are invited into participation. We're called to, to the work of, of growing in faith. God doesn't just do it all for us, but he's come to assist us in that and empower us and equip us for what we are called to. We do not need to carry the weight of all these things on our own shoulders. Jesus uses a similar metaphor in Matthew 11 where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is light. Now that yoke that we carry is still an instrument of work. We're still called to participate. And yet we do not bear the load ourselves. There is a God who has come to equip us 
and to empower us. Paul's prayer is that we would be awakened to this hope in the midst of all the things that are overwhelming us, straining us, stressing us. He prays that we'd be awakened to the hope of his presence, the way he's investing his whole self in us, that he's empowered us, equipped us for what he's called us to. And I simply pray that that message might meet you, that might meet you with hope in those places where you are straining and striving and struggling today.